Joshua chapter 2. Sometimes I'm, it's interesting to, to think that some stories that we think are very familiar to us are not familiar to everyone, um, including our children. And so uh, rather than just reading a portion of this, I'm going to read the whole chapter this morning. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her wall was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made, to, made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we will be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this thy Sabbath day, that we may enter thy house and hear thy precious word. We pray that this word will be applied to our hearts and that we can go away changed. We pray, Lord, for Pastor Bob at this time, that thou wilt be with him and give him the words to say. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We want to look at this, and then we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 10 in a few moments later in our message uh, as well. From those, this chapter and from that section, we want to look at three things. First, that the Lord prepares Joshua. Secondly, that Joshua prepares for battle. And thirdly, that Jesus prepares his disciples. We are covering the book of Joshua uh, under the heading of spiritual warfare. And I don't want to every Lord's Day reiterate the need, but I think once again the actions of this week by our own governor in our own state let us know it was a shot across the bow and it was a signal and a warning of that which is to come. In the decision she made in regards to the counseling of those who are uh, either homosexual or lesbian or who desire to be transgendered, that uh, the state will no longer pay for services of counseling that would seek to talk them out of it. Right? you, you got to get figured out what she's doing in this regard. This is a spiritual battle. That we are involved in. Because the next thing that we pray doesn't happen but followed in Canada was that it became then illegal in Canada to preach that homosexuality, lesbian, or transgenderism is a sin. We are in a spiritual battle. This is but one, one of the battlefronts. It's not the only one, my friends. Those of you who walked for walk for life yesterday know there is another one. There is the whole abortion issue. But those two also aren't the only thing. It goes on and on and on. We are in the midst of spiritual battle and warfare. And we're seeking to learn from Joshua, who is... And is the book that we could say is the book about spiritual battles being fought. How it is that we're to fight. Be wise. Be innocent. Is our subtitle this morning. First of all, as I said, the Lord has prepared Joshua. That's where we were last Sunday. The call of the Lord. Joshua, you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to be obedient for I am with you. But Joshua received, as it were, a, a secondary call in regards to that. As the end 
of chapter 1 comes. And Joshua says to the people, folks, this is what we're going to do. This is what I got from the Lord. The people respond to Joshua, be strong, be courageous, we're with you. We're with you. We are willing to stand up with you. You be strong, you be courageous. And we've got you. We will do all that the Lord our God commands us. What a confirmation. On the one hand, from the Lord. On the other hand, from the people themselves. We're ready. You lead us. We're ready for battle. That's the Lord's preparation of Joshua for this encounter. But what we have here in chapter 2 is Joshua preparing now for that battle. And I want you to note, he's got no instructions from God yet how to do this. God hasn't come and said, Joshua, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to Jericho and we're going to walk around it six times for six days. And then on the seventh day, none of that has been told Joshua. He doesn't know at this point in time what the battle plan is. He doesn't know exactly what God is going to do. He's just been told, be strong, be courageous, and be obedient. So how does Joshua prepare for battle? How is Joshua taking this, this call to be strong, courageous, and to be obedient... As now, okay, i got to go in. We've got to take possession. How do I do that? Notice what he does. One, he sent in spies. Now, that wasn't just flippant, right? Some 40 years before Joshua chapter 2, Moses had sent spies into the land as well when they were first going to enter the land. And Moses sent in those spies under direction of the Lord. I think Joshua made a a pretty good calculated conclusion. If when we enter into battle, we ought to spy out the land under command of God, God doesn't need to come to me and tell me to do it again. I don't need some direct word from the Lord. He's already told us back in Numbers chapter 13. Go spy out the land. Okay, we're here a second time. We better figure out what it is that's over there. We better figure out what is going on. So he gives them a mission. Verse 1, go view the land. Which is basically the same thing that the that Moses had given to those 12 spies. Go view the land. Give me a report. What are we looking for? What's the road from where we're camping on the other side of the Jordan yet to Jericho? What's this road like? How are we going to maneuver? How many troops can I get on this thing? How long is it going to take? Is there a lot of rocks? Is there ravines? Do we have to cross any rivers? What what am I going to encounter? Give me a report about what the land is like. That is their mission. But secondly, they are to report on Jericho specifically. And I find this kind of interesting. 
that the first place that Joshua is planning to go to is not little Ai with its 2,000 people, 3,000 people. He's going to take on Jericho. He's not going to pick off a number of little villages. He's going after Jericho. The largest walled city in all of Canaan. The strongest city in all of Canaan. That's where we're going. I want to know about Jericho. Tell me about it. He doesn't go in, you see, overly confident. I don't care what it's like. I'm just going to take it down. No, go in there. Tell me what it's like. Probably wants to know how thick are the walls, how tall are the walls. When do they open gates? When do they close gates? Observe them for a while. When, when do they seem to be less alert? Is there a time of the changing of the guard that, that may work best for us? That's their mission. That's the location they are to go. Following Moses' technique. But what the story tells us in Joshua chapter 2 is about these spies' protection. What an amazing encounter this is, right? We have two spies who enter in, and, and if you read it carefully, it's they enter in somewhat close to nighttime. They don't walk in in the broad daylight through the gates going, wearing their I'm an Israelite t-shirt. Right? I'm an Israelite here to take you down. They don't do that. Wonder why? Well, maybe that's not a very good battle strategy. Maybe that's not real wise. Maybe that's not, not necessarily the best approach. Oh, yep, they arrested me, killed me, see, I'm a martyr. No, maybe you're just foolish. Maybe you're just really being foolish. Notice what Joshua does. Sends them in towards night when the gates are about to be closed. But they're discovered. Even though they attempt to go undiscovered, they are discovered. But these men, you got to give them credit, right? They, they go to the one place where, yeah, where would all visitors might hang out, right? They go to the house of Rahab. Why Rahab? She's a prostitute. Some guy's coming in from out in the country, coming into town, visiting the local brothel, probably pretty undetected. But they are. They're spotted. And yet, it is this one woman who gives them all the information they need. She responds to them with this deep conviction. See, it gives us pause, doesn't it? God doesn't just come in and say, Joshua, go in there, 
decimate, just lay it flat. No, I got my elect. I got my elect in Jericho. And we need to deal with the one who is my elect. (laughs) She's not just any elect, is she? Rahab is, yes, going to be rescued. She's going to marry a man by the name of Salmon. And they're going to become the parents of a man by the name of Boaz. Who's going to be the father of a guy by the name of Jesse who's going to become the father of a shepherd by the name of David who's going to become the ancestor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing to think about. God has his elect, even in Jericho. So I want you to think for just a moment. Just just pause with me for just a second. Let's just go in on the side. Think of the worst organization, the most immoral, the most wicked, the most horrific organization in the world that exists today. That we as the church of Jesus Christ are in a spiritual battle with. We might just say, get them all! God says, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got my elect in places like that. Be wise. Be innocent. But also, there's something else in all of this, isn't there? They escape. Okay, we we caught the story. I don't have to repeat the whole thing. But they escape by a silver cord. Did you notice? Did you ever catch the fact she doesn't wait until the Israelites are marching around to put the silver cord out the window? She leaves it there. She's identified. I am putting my faith, my trust in the Lord. She speaks words of faith. Symbolized by by that which most commentators say is, is going to become the thread throughout Scripture of the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Her salvation is in the blood of Christ. Great, great account of God's grace and of his pursuing his people. But then he hears their report. So Joshua does two things, right? He sends out the spies. But then it's like, "Ah, I don't care what happens, right? Maybe some of you work for institutions that do that sort of thing. They erect committees to to do some study work and so on, and then they're going to report back. And here you come to the meeting where you're going to report, and and then the powers that be, the board of directors, just says, no, we're not interested in that. We've already made up our mind. Joshua doesn't do that. 
Joshua sent these men to spy out the land, and now he listens to the report. Listen to what they say. There's, there's only two parts to it. It's kind of interesting. None of probably the military details that they had been sent to do. They heard all they needed to hear from Rahab. Because actually, what they're saying to Joshua is really what Rahab told them. It's got nothing to do with the road. It's got nothing to do with battle plans. It's got nothing to do with the wall. None of that is given. Look at 24. And they said to Joshua, two things. The Lord has given all the land into our hands. It's ours. Now, how did they get that? Well, obviously, they are men of faith. Obviously, they, like Joshua and Caleb 40 years ago, are men who look to the Lord their God and not like the 10 other spies who are looking at the circumstances. The Lord's given us this. It's ours. We've already won. Do you look at the world that way? Is that your perspective of what's going on here? Or is your perspective, oh man, we're going down. Oh, we're sinking. Oh, it's going to be horrific. The Lord's already won the victory. There's an empty tomb. He's already reigning as king. And the people melt. Where'd they get that word? That's Rahab's word. What a powerful word. They melt. Right? We've had some hot days, haven't we, kids? Right? Maybe you, you did some fun things like got some ice cubes and put them out on the cement and watched how quickly they could go. Or maybe you had the well, accident of you were eating a popsicle and it got so hot so quick that it fell off the stick and you're sitting there going, I can't eat that. The ants are all over it now. They melted. Oh, they were strong. They were powerful. They're in this big city. But they're melted. They're wilting. They're nothing. Turn with me to the gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew 10, verse 16. What is the spiritual lesson to be learned from Joshua chapter 2? As we face the spiritual battles of our day and age. What is the lesson that Joshua chapter 2 teaches us? I think it's the same lesson that Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 teaches us. It's the same lesson that the commander of the hosts of the army of the Lord is teaching Joshua. Because it's one and the same person. And it's one and the same battle plan. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's sending them out on their very first mission. He's sending them out on their very first spiritual warfare. He's sending them out to battle. Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. His instructions. They're sent out as sheep. And folks, I got news for you. We're always going to be sheep. We're always going to be sheep. We never turn. We never change. We are a bunch of sheep going out to battle against wolves. That's what Jesus just told us. Now think about this. How many wolves do you think are afraid of bah, bah? Ooh, I'm scared. Okay, let's get ten sheep together. Bah, 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 bah. You think that wolf could care less about ten bleeding sheep? How about a hundred bleeding sheep? How about a thousand bleeding sheep? Oh, look, here come all the sheep after us as wolves. Oh, we better run and hide. We better be scared. My friends, the wolf is never scared of the sheep. And we can bleat and bleat and bleat until we're hoarse, until we're blue in the face of sheep. And those wolves will care less. Do you know who they're afraid of? They're afraid of the roaring lion behind us. The roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah is who the wolves are afraid of. And when we go out as the sheep, we go out in the name of the lion of Judah. We live in a day and age in which people think, oh, if we just have more people protesting, that'll make a difference. It will not. We're just a bunch of bleeding sheep. If we're doing this in our own name or for our own causes or for our own glory, it means nothing. The wolves just laugh at us. But when we go, in the name of the lion, they run. They run. What's happening in Joshua chapter 2? The people's hearts are melting. Why? We've heard, we've heard what your Lord has done. We know what your God does. And we're afraid. There's our spiritual lesson. We're sent out as sheep to the wolves. And sheep are never going to overpower wolves. But the lion does. Lesson number two. As we go out as sheep, 
We are called by Jesus to do so by being wise as serpents. Wise as serpents. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary writes, this is the same language as Genesis 3.1 where the word shrewd, wise, is used of the serpent. But the word innocent that follows shows that this is a sanctified shrewdness and not a coming, cunning one. William Hendrickson wrote, The keenness here recommended involves insight into the nature of one's surroundings, circumspection, sanctified common sense, wisdom to do the right thing at the right time and place and in the right manner, and a serious attempt always to discover the best means to achieve the highest goal. To be as wise as a serpent, to be as innocent as a dove means to use some common sense. And you need to know the enemy. You need to know who you're dealing with. And you need to know if you enter the Facebook fray, that may not be the wisest move. That when you're dealing with the enemy, that keenness and alertness and an awareness of what is going on and what is happening in the culture around you, that's what he's saying. Be as shrewd, be as wise as a serpent, but be as innocent as a dove. In your purity of manners, in your motives. Are our motives really the conversion of a person's heart and soul? Is that really what our motive is? It ought to be. Our motives, our speech, our conduct, our attitude. We are to be as innocent as a dove at the same time as wise as a serpent. That's what Joshua's doing in Joshua chapter 2. He's being as wise as a serpent. He's finding out. He's learning. He's investigating. But at the same time, there is this innocence. Because if we adopt the techniques of the world, then all we have done is become the world. Then all we are is sheep in wolves' clothing. Did you catch that? Right? We often sound the warning, look out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, sometimes we as Christians, when we go about these spiritual battles, we're a bunch of sheep in wolves' clothing. Yeah, I'm really innocent. I trust Jesus Christ. But I'm going to operate like Satan. I'm going to let my mouth carry on like Satan. 
I'm going to have an attitude that is like Satan. Hatred, anger, bitterness, strife. Well, there's no doubt we need to engage in this warfare. But Jesus gives us our instructions. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out as a sheep. I'm sending you out to the wolves. Now, in how you deal with these wolves, be as shrewd as a serpent, but it be as innocent as a dove. But then he gives a warning. <laughs> and you're going to get hammered. Right? Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. When they, are, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you speak or what you will say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. This isn't going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. There will be casualties. But here's his promise. Here's his promise. Verse 26. So have no fear of them. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, even as a bleeding sheep, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We are engaged in a war. But we don't fight like the world. We fight like sheep. Because behind us is the roaring lion. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And their hearts will melt. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you for your word. For the blessing and comfort it is to us as your people in this day and age. May we hear you speak. May we follow you closely. May we trust in you always. And may we, Father, hope continually in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. God's people saying, Amen.